Specialty Story, session number 107. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to have an amazing discussion with a physician about his or her specialty. Today is no different. I get to talk to Dr. David Snow, an emergency medicine physician, and he is a residency director as well. We're going to talk about his journey to emergency medicine. And for you, the medical student, what you should be doing as a medical student to make yourself stand out when it comes to applying for an emergency medicine residency. So strap in, stay tuned to talk to Dr. David Snow, an emergency medicine physician who's been out of trading now for six years. We start the discussion with when Dr. Snow first became interested in emergency medicine. I feel like my pathway was similar to most. I feel like there's there were always classmates that, that knew from almost the day they were born that they were going to be an emergency medicine physician. And I always really envied those people. Um, but for me, it was similar to most in that going through the, the clinical rotations, I pretty much enjoyed everything. I knew that there were some things that were not for me, um, maybe, but at a push, I feel like I could have gone into to any of the fields that I was exposed to during my, my, my clinical rotations in third year. So I feel like with EM potential applicants, they are somewhat undecided coming to the end of third year. So then we're, we're kind of filled with a bit of pressure and angst about the decisions that we have to make. And it's because something that draws us to EM is that we enjoy most, if not all aspects of medicine. So, so for me, it was coming to the end of third year. I was between surgery and psychiatry and EM, um, which are very, very different. <laughs> yes, they are. Of medicine. And, and I had a mentor that when I talked to, to him about this, he had a very poignant comment that he said, if you're between those three, then you really don't know much about yourself. And I was <laughs> somewhat <laughs> offended by the comment. But as I started to think about it, it really made a lot of sense. There were things about EM that, that really appealed to me. So so for me, it was end of, end of third year. And then I had some time in the ED itself and was able to solidify it uh, prior to so. Do you think it's liking, I'm sure there's a spectrum, but do you think for you it, it it was liking everything or not liking one thing enough to stand out above the rest? And that's true. I mean, it, it was when I finally got to the ED. So, so for many, they won't do an EM rotation until, you know, either late third year or early fourth year, or maybe even not at all. So, so for some, they've, it's not until they have that opportunity that the lights go on for them. So that was how it was for me. So, so I can't really speak to the, the, the before aspect because I didn't have that moment with anything else until I got to my, my EM rotation. So I feel like the two somewhat go hand in hand with our field because it's so unique in that our day-to-day traverses so many different specialties that I, I, I would find it hard to believe that someone would say, 
I definitely want to go into EM, but I didn't enjoy anything else whatsoever. Um, and maybe that maybe there is someone out there, and, and kudos to them if they're <laughs> if they're going at it and they're happy because that's fantastic. But I feel like for for most of us, it's it's that we enjoy it, and then when we finally are in the ED, that that it's that it's that moment where it all makes sense. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good emergency medicine physician? I think I think for all of us we have we have this this mindset of of when we get to our shift it could be as busy as any other time during any other shift in our lives so we we show up ready to work our hardest the minute we walk through the door and that's that's a unique characteristic cuz sometimes we start work at you know 5 a.m. or 11 p.m. and it doesn't matter sort of what's come before we have to be ready for that as we walk in the door so that's that's something that's not unique to EM at all, but is quite unique as, across all the fields of EM. So, so that's something that that I think is a is a is a characteristic. Um, so, not really not looking for that routine of you know nine a.m. to five p.m. The day starts slower, gets busier. You know, at a certain time, it's the unpredictable nature of it. Um, and also, if I was to pick out one really true defining characteristic, it's it's the interpersonal skills. I think someone who does very well in EM recognizes the unique personality attributes that an EM physician needs because we at any point could be, you know, speaking to and working with, you know, all variations of the patient spectrum from someone with no resources, maybe someone who who is, you um, know, psychotic or disabled from that standpoint so isn't really taking in what, what you're saying to them in a way that that works all the way to you know the the ceo of a company who has come in very very prepared for for what's about to happen and has their own set of ideas so really traverses all of those personal skill attributes um of 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 the patient spectrum but then on the 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 the, the, the clinical side you know you're you're networking with your techs, your clerks, your nurses, your consultants, all the way from medical students, all the way up to chairs of those divisions. And you have to be able to work within the challenges of that environment and do so with a smile on your face for most of it, because uh, that shows that you're enjoying the work. Um, so someone that's, I feel like, has those personality skills does very well in EM because it helps bring that team together, which I think is so important. In our jobs, so that mix of the personal skills, that mix of those attributes of of, of working hard, as soon as you get to your shift, those are those are two, I think, key defining attributes of of our field. So let's talk about those attributes and how you evaluate, especially as a, a new program that just welcomes your your first class of residents. How do you evaluate those attributes in an application for residency? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and 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 thankfully, people way smarter than me have have tried to figure that out in the previous years. This will be my what have I done now? Seven years of of evaluating uh, applications, so about to start my eighth cycle. So still relatively new, but with some experience. Uh, a few years ago, they added a new piece to the application for emergency medicine. It's um, the SLOE. Uh, standardized letter of evaluation uh the slow or the slower i've heard it uh shortened down to a couple of different things 
And essentially, pretty much any EM rotation that you do, you will have one of these these letters written for you. And it's the S is for standardized. So by its nature, it's a standardized form. It's the same one for everyone coming through, uh, no matter where they do the rotations. But it's a movement away from the the letter of recommendation that some people may ask from an EM physician. And it's really, it looks at your grades. It compares you to uh, applicants from this year and also from the previous year. Uh, it mentions how many letters uh, that program or department has written in the past 12 months. But then it does some some really unique things for EM and that it's, it, it lists a set of attributes it talks about your success within those attributes, you know, work ethic, professionalism, interpersonal skills, are the whole host of them. And then there's some very specific uh, pretext parts to that that document where people speak very candidly about the applicant. And because we're all essentially looking for the same things, you know, because we're all emergency medicine physicians, we all somewhat know what to write that are, it's going to be helpful for someone going through and then reading that and trying to to assess the applicant so there's pieces to this that are troublesome for applicants and i understand it because the large majority of that outside of your grade is unknown to you and you'll never see it but then at the same time it's become one of the most important parts of an application for an em residency so that large part being unknown to the applicant can be somewhat unnerving, but we all want what's best for the applicant. We all want programs to match in the people that are, are going to be the best fit for them. So so we're all driving towards a common goal, but I can see why it would be unnerving. So as I go back to answer the, the initial question, and I digress, which is what I do pretty well is what <laughs> I'm told. It's... Um, it's been made a lot easier because I imagine, and I know from, from brief experience before the slow was introduced, it was really hard to pick out from a file those attributes that were challenging because we all view those same characteristics in a, in a way that measures success, that those, those, those letters speak to that. And it's, it's, it's really allowed us to, on top of all the other accomplishments that medical students have coming into interview season, it allows us to start to to see those those attributes in 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 real time during dedicated rotations through emergency departments. Now, as we're recording this, the NRMP just wrapped up gathering comments for whether or not to move forward making the USMLE pass fail. Is is the slow kind of a reaction to to kind of counteract if that goes pass fail as a different way to evaluate students coming in? I think so. I think there were probably multiple facets involved in that. And and the reaction to that I feel like has been has been quite varied. It's I feel like I can I can argue it one way or the other. It's it's really hard, I feel like, for the on the on the student side in that, you know, a sub mean or sub-average USMLE step one score can be very, very detrimental to an applicant. So thinking about from their standpoint, it's it's really hard. It's it's one data point, right? It's just one data point out of the the thousand potential data points that that an applicant can have in their file. But because of the way programs sometimes use ERAS, you know, sometimes programs will set filters based on USMLE or Comlex scores that 
you know that that one score can can be very hard for them to to move past to ensure that the person reviewing the file doesn't get get stuck on that and then discounts the file as someone who has challenges and i know that you know we based on the based on the score i mean there's no hard recommendation that an applicant needs to have taken step 2 but certainly if the step 1 score is is at or below the mean it's it's highly encouraged that they take step 2 so they're certainly able to work past that but but it it does add a lot of pressure in what is already a pretty pressure filled environment as a medical student so so i don't know i don't think necessarily that's an involvement of the slow the slow is really just a way to to really dig into some of the attributes that that the students bring to the table and as you, as we think about that what better way to do that than over the course of a full rotation where it's not just a you know a one or two hour you know view of 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 the student and the applicant but it's how they performed in the clinical setting it's how they performed and and interacted with the staff and the faculty and the other residents you know it's so i don't think that the two are connected yeah. um I think the slow is just that it's a it's a better way for us to to get what we need to to try and evaluate. Yeah. So when a student is interested in emergency medicine and and that's their dream, that's what they want to go to. They love every rotation that they're on. What would be your recommendation for them to to get out in front of a program director like yourself and and really stand out during their rotations? Yeah, so that I mean, there's almost the, the, there's a couple of questions in there. I think I taking the first piece of that in terms of how to get in front of it's it's hard, right? I mean, every all the way up to applying to to residencies, it feels like the the system is is challenging to the medical students, but things have to be done by a certain time. So that's how it is, you know. As we think about interview season. We start looking at applications September fifteenth of fourth year, so there may be some fourth year students who are only a couple of months, three months in a fourth year, and not only do they have to have decided about EM, but they have to have the rotations in place, they have to have letters in place, slows have to be generated, so they have to have the rotations done ahead of time. So, you know, and like I said already, you know, there's many students who won't have done EM until fourth year. So, how do they get involved? So. I think within any college of medicine, I hope anyway, there's a way for students to get in touch with EM faculty to start interfacing with them as early as they think that they need to, to start answering the questions. Most medical schools that have EM departments have some way to get shadow shifts with, with EM faculty. And, and I know that there are some medical schools where there isn't an EM residency at that program uh, or at that medical school because Loyola was one up until just a few weeks ago. But still, the, the students were very involved in the ED. They, they were shadowing in the ED from first year. So that's a way that you can start to, to, to um, get your involvement in there. I don't feel like there's, there should be pressure for, for students to, to get in front of a PD you know, early in you know, first, second, third year. Really, it's if it comes down to it, you want to do what you need to do to figure out that EM is for you. And if if meeting with a program director is a way to do that, then fine. But don't feel like you need to do that in order to bolster your application. It would purely be to um, 
to answer some questions and really nothing else. Don't don't do it. Don't waste your own time just to get in front of a PD. But you know, the sooner that you can start to answer that question, the better off you'll be. And then really just take third year for what it is. It's a way to to get exposure to all of these different uh, fields of medicine and try and learn as much as you can because whether you think it or not. Uh, in the moment, it's all going to be very useful for for your future training. Yeah. So, what about if if a student is on a rotation? Let's say they they um, are on their emergency medicine rotation. They are pretty sure that that's what they want to be doing in the future. Maybe it's the program that they want to be at. What? Uh, and I'm sure you get feedback from your residents for the most part. But what should a medical student be doing to impress the residents, impress you as a program director, so that when it comes time to for, for those applications to come across, like, oh, I, I remember Sally. She was amazing. This is what she did. And, and we'd love to have her here. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's something I, I think about a lot because I, you know, immediately before uh, this talk, I, I met with a medical student was talking about about that kind of thing. It's a it's a question that's really on their minds at this time of year. So um, it's something that I talk about and think about a lot. It's and whether I'm right or not about this, you know, it's this. You know, you I have the microphone, I guess. So 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 you get what I'm thinking. But it's it really just hits home about these these understanding the the key attributes of an EM resident, EM physician. You know, it's it's that hard work, not complaining about the work that's before them, uh, and enjoying as much as you can enjoy sometimes in the ED when, when patients are very sick, you know, someone dies. Obviously, you're not enjoying that aspect of things, and, and no one does, but, but it's, it's, it's the everyday bread and butter, we call that, bread and butter emergency medicine, you know, standard chest pain, abdominal pain, back pain, headache, et cetera, et cetera. It's... it's no one, none of our patients want to be there, right? You know, they would much rather be be somewhere else getting on with their lives. Like the ED is not, it's not scheduled. They don't want to be there. So, so a lot of times they are not in their best frame of mind. They're not as welcoming. They're not as pleasant. Um, so, so having that positive outlook, that, that, that desire to come in and take care of people that don't want to be there and try and be that, that positive influence. Like those are those are key skills for for EM physicians. I feel like so if you can come in and not be held back by your nerves of trying to perform and trying not to, you know, to seem like you don't know what you're doing, you know, understanding that you're a student and you're not even a resident yet, so your 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 level of knowledge is below that of a resident who who has three or even four years of of medical training, residency training before they're allowed to go out and practice on their own. So how, how can you as a medical student be expected to know what you're doing? And that, that pressure seems to be pretty pertinent um, because it's very obvious in the students coming in, it's, it's a very prominent thing. Um, and medical students, when they're on the rotations, they feel this need to, to prove that they know what they're doing. And I would, I would take a step back from that and, and really what, what we are looking for is, is people that, you know, if there's something that you don't know, that you're responsive to the, the teaching that, that we may give, uh, that if, you know, if there's something that you don't know, that you go away and you try and reinforce the learning from the shift and, and come back the next time and, and show that you've, 
You've really tried to bolster your own knowledge and that ultimately, if we distill it all down, it's that we leave the shift feeling like we enjoyed working around you because the ED itself is, is challenging for the reasons that I just stated. So someone that that's enjoyable to be around and, and in no way am I saying that you have to show up with a stand-up <laughs> routine, ready to go and a bunch of jokes. That's, that's not me at all, but it's, it's that I don't let, I don't let some of the experiences and encounters that I have on shift bring my, bring my mood down. I come in ready to work, ready to relieve the colleagues that have been there for a full shift before I got there. And then I'll try and bring something to the team around me. That's what I would say. So taking that whole long diatribe and distilling it down, it's, it's just trying to enjoy the experience as much as you possibly can. And I know that saying that sounds ridiculous because all the pressures that have led up to that moment and, and knowing how important the slow is means that it's even more pressure filled, but just do what you can to, to leave that at the door when you walk in, find your team, engage your team uh, and enjoy the time. And then I'll add one, one extra piece to that because you mentioned residents. And I feel like the best advice I ever got with that was understand that, that residents are underpaid and overworked <laughs> so that anything you can do to remove a piece of work from a resident, they will love you forever. Um, so if you know that there's something, say a laceration or an abscess that needs to be drained, if you know what you're doing and you feel comfortable doing that, but even if you don't get the equipment together and, and bring that to the bedside for the resident, if you make little gestures like that, if you take away little pieces of work, residents will love you for the rest of your time. And then the golden thing happens, which is they will seek out someone like me and tell me that they want you. At their program, and that is worth its weight in gold because because of their underpaid and overworked state of mind, it's hard for them sometimes to look outside of that and really find those students that that are a great fit for their program. And so when they do, it's it's golden. It really is. When someone does that, I really take that to heart. I always have. I always will do. I absolutely write that name down, and I seek that person out. Come come interview time. It's funny when you were talking about that, it, it brought back a memory, which I, I have a terrible memory. And so the fact that I remember this is is powerful of, <laughs> of being a medical student in the emergency room and having a patient that needed to be tapped with major ascites. And I had learned how to do it at some point and I like jumped in and, and did it, right? I gathered all the bottles and 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 tapped this person. And I think the resident came in and they're like, oh, you like you started. I'm like, yeah, like I know how to do this. Another resident taught me an, another shift or something. And uh, it's it's definitely something that when when you can help, obviously not overstepping your your bounds, uh, it definitely helps. But I, I like what you talked about because I, I think a lot of students are there and it's it's I think it's part of the pre-med culture. It's kind of carries over into medicine a medical school where students are are trying to prove how brilliant they are and how much they know. And I talk about it all the time that it's 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 not your job when you're on these rotations isn't to prove, right? You have time to learn that. It's it's to prove that you're gonna be someone that they're gonna want to hang out with for three years or four years and and go drinking after a hard shift and whatever else. And uh, obviously you don't have to be an extrovert to do well in residency either, but that's a that's a big part of it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I really do. And 
you know, when I was talking to the, the medical student before this, this session, we, we even delved into interview day and it's that same thing. It's, you know, try not to think about, you know, and it, it, it sounds ridiculous saying it, right? Try not to think about the importance of the day or the importance of the rotation and just, just be yourself. Like if you can be yourself and be that, that motivated, driven medical student on the rotation, who's there to learn, there to work. You know, I feel like you'll get out of it what you need. And sometimes those, the nerves and that desire to prove means that we miss those visceral feelings that are really important when it comes time to make decisions. You know, we're so caught up in, in proving and performing that we, you know, we almost limit ourselves in being able to, to feel what it might be like to be that person in that field, which is you know, arguably one of the most important parts of, of that part of, of, of medical training. What are some of the, the biggest misconceptions around emergency medicine where, where students come in for a rotation and they think they want to do emergency medicine and they leave going, yeah, no, that's not what I thought it was at all. I think there's, there's probably two big ones. One is, is in the work itself. I think, I think many students are brought towards EM by, by trauma and acute resuscitation. Um, and that's obviously it's a huge part of, of our world. Um, so knowing how to do that and feeling comfortable with that is, is a big deal, but, but that's far from being a huge part of, of true EM clinical life. And of course it varies by, by the hospital that you work at, but even, you know, we work at a quaternary care center. It's a level one trauma center, but even within that, it's, it's, it's a big part, but it's not a huge part of an EM resident's life or an EM physician's life. So it's, it's, it's trying to really understand what the day-to-day EM world is like, where there's a lot of really standard complaints, you know, you're not going to have many deaths on shift, you know, you're not going to be taking tons of airways and doing tons of intubations every shift. There's a good number of those, but that's, that's not what the job's about. You know, in all fairness, it's the ability to balance those things along with, you know, the, the probably more prevalent mid to lower acuity disease that, that exists. Um, so that would be number one is maybe a slight misconception about what it is, but I'm okay with that one because, because it is a big part of our, our lives, our, our clinical lives being comfortable and excited and happy about that is obviously a big part of it. So I'm okay with that misconception. But then the second one that I'm not as okay about is, is the, the topic of burnout. And, and it's, it's a complicated topic and, and it's something that I think should and is continue to be assessed. And, and EM is typically near the top of that list. And, and I would be foolish if I didn't, have an eye towards that, especially given the role that I'm in. But I feel like I feel like so much of that is born out of the habits that are formed and the the eye towards the career that's formed in residency. And I feel like and obviously I can't prove this, but I feel like so much of of burnout, which essentially comes down to a dissatisfaction in both your job and your career choice, I feel like so much of that is born out of of the decisions and habits that you make and form as a resident, you know, and that if you, if you know what's going to be important to you in your career and you 
you have an eye towards that when you're when you're starting to look for jobs um yeah sure you might do all of that right and end up in a job that makes you very unhappy but then you must change jobs because if you don't then i'm sure you'll fit on that that burnout spectrum but but i feel like that the burnout label gets assigned to em and it you know having been around it now for several years i feel like i can i can pick out the people that are going to struggle with that in their careers or are struggling with it in that moment and i'm and i kind of hope that i could have gone back and and sat with them before certain decisions were made and that's that's a very you know probably save the world mentality that that is probably not needed or or not warranted in any way but when i talk to students about burnout and as i'm starting now to teach my residents about about that it's really starting to think about who you are and what's important to you because it's 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 on the rare red for me to see physicians in em that are burned out but again i'm not saying at all that it's a false label because again the surveys come out every year and the medscape survey came out earlier this year and again em was was near the top of that list so it's not it's not wrong but i don't think it should preclude you or stop you from going into a career in em i just think you need to know what can happen to any physician if if things are left unchecked yeah what does the the training path look like for for a medical student coming in, seeing emergency medicine? What what can they expect kind of along their journey every year in residency? I think one of the things that that differentiates EM from other residency programs is that day one, shift one, you might have the sickest patients of your residency training. Um, for for a lot of other programs, the system's kind of set up to where there's always you know, someone around who will take the majority of that that patient care. Maybe you'll be, you know, you know, during your first year, you won't go into the operating room, you won't be in the ICUs, that type of thing. So it's more to like build up your knowledge and your experience before you're exposed to that. So, so that that's that's something that that can be somewhat overwhelming. I feel like for early residents, it's a very very steep learning curve, and it's it can be. It can be truly overwhelming in, in terms of the knowledge that's needed and that pretty much every patient encounter you have for the first several months might be something that your you know your 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 clinical knowledge is is way below what you think it needs to be. So there's pressure almost from minute one. So so that's that's on us as faculty to be there twenty-four-seven next to them as as the residents are are um experiencing those those first several patients but so so what can they expect they they can expect from from day one they're going to be exposed to, to patient care across the full spectrum of em knowing that they're going to have an em attending with them through through every step of that which is something that also that's very unique to em they'll do maybe five six seven off-service rotations during their their first year so first year is it's quite off-service heavy to where they'll they'll go to the ICUs. They'll potentially do things like orthopedics and, and anesthesia, uh, obstetrics uh, to get comfortable with with deliveries. Um, and then second and third year is somewhat of a progression toward to where they'll have increasing patient care responsibilities. You know, a program like ours uh, near the end of first year and then expanding in second and third year they, they'll start to lead teams in their particular area in the emergency department where they'll have 
junior residents and medical students in that in that area. So they'll they'll start to add the teaching and mentoring aspect of that. Um, and then third year, really look into them to s- truly start to lead the areas that they're working in. Um, so it's a it's a real progression that that when you're done uh, with your training, you need to be able to handle whatever comes through those doors at any point of the day. So it's a uh, it's a lot. It's 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 busy. It's exciting, um, but it's uh, it's doable during during those three years, and that's why that steep learning curve is there. So that day one, you're coming in and and getting exposed to to really sick patients. So, what should a student be doing to evaluate different programs? Uh, the growing trend is that students are just applying everywhere and crossing their fingers, but. Uh, obviously, it'd be nice if they could actually find a place where they fit well and, and the program suited them. What are the the types of things that students should be looking at that may differentiate different EM programs? And hopefully I don't digress too much because it's it's such a problem, I feel like, in EM right now. it's it, It's become so competitive that there's no standardized way of mentoring an applicant because no two applicants are the same. But inherent within that is applicants themselves don't know uh, where they stand on the the, the bigger scale of of applicants. So because of the varying degrees of mentoring, students are being told, you know, I might see a student application say you should apply to 25 or 30 programs, but then they might go speak to someone else who might say apply to 60. And that's that's obviously a huge difference. And, And I think what we're seeing is exactly what you alluded to in that there's an over uh, application that's going on and that's okay if things are done appropriately after that but then what happens is i feel like the top tier applicants because they don't know where they stand and there's varying degrees of mentoring but they're they're picking up a lot of the interview spots early when they probably don't need to and then they cancel a lot so that there's a whole bigger issue in there so so all where the the place where i'm going with that is just seek out someone like myself, who has experience in reviewing applications, who can give you, who can look at your file, compare it to applicants from the previous year and maybe even that year, and and give you a fair sense of what's important and where you might fall on that spectrum, and start to help you think about uh, how many applications uh, that you should uh, um, submit. So, but going back to your question, I think I think. The two biggest things, if you're able to do this, and if you can do these two things, then I feel like you're you're in a good place. And then everything else that comes after that is a bonus. Number one, that you think the EM is the right career to you, because it's not it's not unexpected for me to have someone before me who's still trying to figure it out in November of fourth year, and I feel sorry for that person. But the system is set up that it can be really hard to figure it out by that time. So that person shouldn't feel like they're, they've failed in any way. It's just that they're still being honest with themselves, but they're trying to figure it out. But that's obviously that's, that's not ideal for that person because now they're, they're probably overextending themselves when it comes to interview time. Plus, I'm sure their state of mind is, is more stressed than someone that's figured it out. So number one, the EM is right for you. And then number two, as much as you're able to in the rotations that you set up, I would try and get a, an experience in, in a few, you know, at least two, if you're able to, different types of EM programs. And the different types mainly fall within academics, so affiliated with a college of medicine, 
um, close ties between the medical school and the EM department, research thrown in, that type of stuff. Um, a community program is, is another label uh, that's thrown out there. So, so a program that doesn't have a medical school there that, that may or may not have a lot of private physicians that staff the rest of the hospital. So you won't be interfacing with a lot of other residents. Um, there's, there's hybrid models that exist out there where it's kind of a mix of both. And then a county program. And a county program for sure can be academic. You know, as we think about this, all of these labels are somewhat interchangeable based on on the the hospital, the department, but they they're all fairly, you know, you can pick one out that, that really describes that department. The county one really speaks towards the population that they serve. Um, so a county population, somewhat encatchment hospital um, that picks up the slack that might be missing from the health system of other areas. But again, that county hospital might be academic, so it checks two of those boxes. So, so coming back to that, if you're able to figure out, and, and, I, and I'll preface this by saying that I don't think that an applicant should know what type of program that they want, because again, just knowing that it's EM means that you've got time and you use your interviews to figure this piece out. But if you can go into interview season knowing that I really like academics, I really like county i don't really like community or whatever variation of that formula that then helps when it comes time to apply because you can look at if there's a geographic area you pick out chicago you might say okay i don't want to be at an academic program so so somewhere like northwestern or loyola or ufc like you can take those off your list and then focus on the other ones that you do want to be at but if you're not able to do that, which many people are not, just given the the, the limitations of rotation time and, and stuff like that, that just use the interviews to figure it out. And if we take it a step further and think about the interview days itself, I think it's really three things to focus on. The message of the chair, um, when, when you speak to the chairman or chairwoman, but the chair, do you feel and, and, and buy into the message that they have, the vision they have for their group? Number two is the, the program director. Do you, do you find them to be someone that you would put faith in um, for the, the, what is the, the most important part of your medical training, which is residency? So really pay attention when they're speaking. And that can be hard because you're nervous. It's usually at the start of the day, but really try and, and get a feel for what you think of that person. And then, which may be the most important, is, is the residents. Do you like them? Do you see yourself as one of them? Would you fit in? Um, and I think if you can check those three boxes and you know that EM is for you, then I think the type of program that you want to be at, it must be okay. Because if, if those other three things are in place, the chair, the PD, the residents, then there's something within that subset of people that is going to mean that you're going to be okay with the, the type of program and the population that you're at. Because I had no idea what type of program I wanted to be at, but I really bought into and enjoyed and felt comfortable with the chair and the PD and the residents. And I would make my decision again a million times over if I could. And I feel like my classmates were the same. Um, so I think that I think that those are the, the, the big things I would be thinking about going into to interview season. For the osteopathic medical student listening to this, what does he or she need to do to, to help overcome any potential negative bias? So I'm hoping that we're at a stage of the game now where negative bias has been 
negated. Um, but I, you know, as hopeful as I am in life, I'm still realistic. Um, and the realism part of me makes me think that despite the AMA stance that the programs don't need USMLE scores, that I still feel like some programs might not have moved past that and might still be looking to have a USMLE score. I hope that it's it's not the case that there's still sort of negative views to overcome. And, and and truly, I think from the osteopathic training standpoint, I don't think there's there's any negativity that needs to be overcome. I, I you know very reasonably, I think allopathic and osteopathic students are viewed in the same way, and especially in EM, given that we have the slows and it's standardized, that really helps. But I feel like the AMA stance about the complex exams was really helpful for the osteopathic students. But I still feel like there may be some programs that that will say that they require a USMLE score, even though that we've known for years that that there's good data to allow for the translation of the complex into something that's that's um, on the same scale as the USMLE score. Because, you know, for, for some of us, like myself, I, I didn't take a complex score, so I don't inherently know what makes a complex score, but I for sure know how to apply the formulas that are out there and compare that to a USMLE score. So there's no excuse for that. But despite the AMA's stance, again, I still feel like some programs might require a USMLE score as much as as I feel that that is now not needed. So I still feel like it's it's hard to mentor an osteopathic student and say that you definitely don't need a USMLE score. And I don't like that because that's that's very unfair. It's hard enough taking one of these tests, let alone having to take two. So I'm hoping that there's some way to measure that going forward, that there's the programs are moving away from from requiring USMLE scores so that, that that piece can be put to bed. And I know that in the near future, I'm hoping, you know, obviously that the exams come together so, so that there's not two different scores, but um that would be the one thing to to be aware of and just seek mentorship for the for the osteopathic students out there. Are there any major changes coming to emergency medicine or the way residencies are done in emergency medicine that potential applicants should be aware of? I don't I don't think there's any any major changes. I think things change every few years as as it pertains to to the GME side of things and being more um, protective of residents, which you know might be more cumbersome at times for for program directors, but certainly is 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 to the benefit of of the residents for sure. But I don't think there's any really major things uh, in the pipeline coming up. Any last words of wisdom for a potential student interested in emergency medicine? No, I would just I would I would probably close by by saying that you know don't be afraid to to reach out to to people in residency leadership to ask their advice. We do it a lot. It's part of the job. It's something that that I really enjoy. I love being able to talk to someone about this and then see how things progress for them and then to, you know, to talk to them after the fact and 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 see what was useful, what wasn't, and and how things kind of came together. But if I was to to pick one thing to really close on, it would just be to hammer home that that message of of what it is that that we are looking for we we want to find people that can do the work that's put before them 
Um, but most importantly, it's people that, that we enjoy working with. So as much as you're able to and knowing how hard it will be to do it, but just to be yourself and enjoy, enjoy the time in the clinical setting. And if you do that, you're going to get way more out of it. We'll be way more receptive to you both in the clinical setting and uh, in the interviews. All right. There you have it again, Dr. David Snow, Residency Program Director in Emergency Medicine, sharing his wisdom on how you can be a better applicant for emergency medicine. Now, it's interesting the special application differences with emergency medicine and potentially how that will affect the applications when it comes to USMLE going to pass-fail if it goes pass-fail as the FSMB is changing. And I think I said earlier in the episode that the NRMP was considering USMLE pass-fail, but obviously not NRMP. That's the match itself. And the step one USMLE is put on by FSMB. So hopefully you got a lot of good information out of the episode today. As you heard, Dr. David Snow is not from the States. He is from Scotland and did his training at the University of Kentucky for medical school and then on to Chicago for his residency training and now at Loyola. So hopefully you got a lot of great information out of the episode today. Don't forget to share this episode with your fellow classmates. Let them know that Specialty Stories is out there, that it's free every week. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.